Welcome to the Association Hub podcast, a bite-sized series of weekly inspiration designed to keep curious association professionals inspired. Our topics will cover everything from membership growth to online communities, technology and sponsorship and beyond that. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Association Hub podcast. I'm Angela Shelton, and with me today is my wonderful co-host and digital marketing expert, Alina Lima. Hello, Alina. Hello, Angela. How are you going? I took a short break for a while, and I'm absolutely delighted to be back. I can see you've been very busy with scheduling all the podcast interviews. Well done. (laughs) And I was so happy to see the topic of microlearning in the list of our podcast. I love this topic. Oh, I knew you'd love this topic. My theory is catch up on lots of interviews so we can continue sharing our stories, but microlearning was definitely top of my list. It's really capturing people's attentions these days. And given your expertise in digital transformation, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how microlearning is influencing member engagement. Look, I wanted to tell you a secret and something that you didn't know about me. A few years ago, just right before the pandemic, I actually wanted to focus the whole my business on micro-learning and micro-credentialing. So back then, I worked with one of my clients and they were launching the micro-credentialing program for their members. And they were working with the Australian University to do this program together. And I started to dig down and research on this topic and I was absolutely captivated and I was so engaged and interested. So I really, truly believe the micro-learning is a game changer and no longer can a professional simply earn a degree and expect to remain in one field or in one company for the entire career. And no matter what industry you work in, what company you work in, you have to upskill and grow as the world changes so fast. So here's where the concept of lifetime learning steps in and micro-learning is the best tool to support it. And to be honest, associations are in the best position to support their members through this career and this lifetime learning journey. Technically, it's their role in the industry. Mm, Absolutely. And it's not just about making learning more accessible. It's about making it more relevant. I mean, imagine offering just-in-time learning experiences to your members in an online space. Exactly. It's about meeting members where they are and providing them with the resources they need at the career stage they are and, you know, at the interest that they have and when they need them and how they need them. It's a win-win both for members, for association and for the industry in general. Oh my gosh. So well said. And speaking of micro-learning, we have got a very special treat for our listeners today. I can't wait to hear. I've got a great conversation coming up with Tony McGuire from D2L. We're going to be exploring the intersection of micro-learning and member engagement. Hi, you knew who invited for this topic. I always listened with interest to Tony's stories at events about how they work with associations on this project. And when associations embrace micro-learning and online learning in general, insights from someone like Tony could be a real game changer for the listeners. Oh my gosh, it absolutely is. He's always full of so many amazing insights. So let's dive in. But before we go, I want to remind you, our valued listeners, that if you are enjoying these conversations, we would love for you to follow us on the podcast platform of your choice. And if you are interested in joining us as a guest, you can get in touch with us on our website, associationhubpodcast.com.au. And now I can't wait to hear Tony's story. Tony, welcome to the Association Hub podcast. Let's start by you giving our listeners a quick introduction. Hi, Angela. Greetings from a fairly cool Warburton this morning. 
Thanks for the opportunity to uh, join you and your listeners. So I'm the regional director for D2L. Uh, we're an e-technology company. We work with associations, universities, schools, corporates. I guess we touch on any given day anything up to 700,000 learners in our systems across Australia and New Zealand and more internationally. So e-learning company, very heavily involved in the association space. Yeah, you sure are. We love e-learning. I think people are surprised to know how accessible e-learning is and how much it's actually involved in our personal lives. So it's it's really good to have you on here today so that we can flesh this out a little bit. And as much as I love talking with you, Tony, I am always guaranteed to walk away having learned something new. And that is my motto. Every conversation, every day, every event, learn something new. But I usually walk away and go, wow, I have to go and research this. <laughs> You're laughing, but that's the sort of good conversation. Like I love, there's lots of good uh, depth to them. So for our listeners who might not be familiar, why don't you briefly explain what micro learning is and why it matters in a professional space? Good one. Yeah. When was the last time you went to the gym, Angela? Why did you go? <laughs> I went to the gym last Thursday. Why did I go? Because I'm over 40 and I need to build up the strength in my body. And I had this friendly prompt from my online fitness app that said, you haven't been to the gym this week. <laughs> so there's two key pieces there. So I'll start first of all with, um, I guess, a mindset. We go to the gym because we have a growth mindset. And I think that's going to be a theme that we'll talk about throughout this conversation. We'll come back to it anyway. So a growth mindset. We wanted to develop fitness. We want to improve our well-being. We want to invest time. We want to do it in a way which is actually probably a little bit structured. And I think that's at the heart of a successful micro learning strategy. And I think when you go to the gym, we think about things in terms of high intensity physical activities. They could be interspersed with rest periods. You want to get the maximum out of a minimum amount of time because of the way we live our lives. So micro learning is the same. It's a tested strategy. Uh, it's based on the same concept. You're exercising your brain. You're looking for short, sharp hits, but it has to be efficient. It has to be effective. And the way you do that could be through short courses, interactive content, whole variety of different digital content is really important, videos, podcasts like this. But it's not just that you serve them up, it's how you then provide them and provide access. So if you just provided PDFs, quick survey, that's not going to cut it. So I think if you wanted to quickly understand what is micro learning, it's a bit like walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, three things. Does it come in short bursts that are personalized? Does it require a little effort? And by that, I mean time commitment, not mental mm. effort. And then the last one is, does it focus on simple concepts and narrow topics? Yeah, no, I love that. And I think that's that's really the key piece there. Is it smart on time? Because I will choose a 30-minute session at the gym over a 45-minute session. It's not that I don't have the time. It's just that that was my capacity for right there and then. And I knew that 30 minutes, I could give it my all. So um, I love that you really highlighted that. So, you know, my curiosity also begs to understand what's the requirement for an organization size or membership number to effectively use a learning management system for engaging? And how can different sized associations make the most of it? I think there's some basic physical parameters that you could consider its number of users and those sorts of things. But I think really, I'll go back to the growth mindset again, because that's the practical starting point. We work very closely with our customers and we take opportunities to learn from them. And Australian Institute of Company Directors is one of our, our clients and AICD punched a report out 
recently that talked about amongst a number of findings, 90% of CEOs expected to be affected by staff shortages this year. Mm. And they intended to use a range of traditional human resources, stress traditional there, such as investing in staff training, development, increasing headcount, and social life to alleviate those shortages. The second thing I thought was interesting was that investments in staff training development was due to hit an all-time high, about 47%, almost one in two. Wow. Uh, CEOs were thinking that their business would increase their investment in staff training. So if you fall into one of those two buckets, in a sense, you've got a need to think about it. I think leaders need to be really clear about a couple of things. First of all, where do you create value within your business, your organization? That's typically based around people and process. So you're looking to get as complete a picture as you can of your membership expectations, aspirations, like think about it in terms of the personal growth. And do you understand what their journey looks like? I think the second thing then is in terms of why you would think about this is more directly about directing meaningful and effective activities. What do you need to protect organizationally? Where do you need to diversify? I think the last question is, where should you grow? So that really goes back to that growth mindset a little bit. Well, I think if we couch that in a slightly broader context, if I'm thinking from a CEO's chair, why, or I want to talk to the board about why, we're coming out of a disruptive period. We know that innovation is really the the central text now for everybody. It's innovate or die, really, in a sense. So learners are moving from fairly complex, cumbersome learning activities to stuff that's more more personalized. So access is really important. Executives are looking to move from sort of stale, disparate reporting and insights that are kind of just snapshots of what happened yesterday, not actually informing what's going to happen because we don't have dynamic data. So think about now, how do you act on strategic insights? So if you've got that sort of question in mind, and then the last one I think is about your learning and education teams. So typically it was paper-based, PDF, face-to-face. How do we actually analyze the impact of that now? So if you've got questions around the actual return on the, the learning investment, that's a place in terms of your strategy that micro-learning can be a, a springboard to start those sorts of conversations. Mm. So really, you don't have to be any particular size organization or have any specific amount of members. It's really looking at what is it you want to achieve and how does that online learning really support that pathway? Yeah, I think yeah. so. You have to do something. So whichever yeah. widget you buy, if I can put it that way, is less relevant than why are you doing it and what's your approach to how you will make sure that you get a return on that learning investment. Yeah, exactly. It's got to be a two-way street. It's got to be for purpose for the organization and how they deliver on that for their staff and their members. So then tell me, when we're looking at that connection between these short-term learning bursts and member satisfaction, what is it that we can actually measure the go? Is this working? Do we need to get more buy-on from our members to actually guide our conversations on whether this learning is fit for purpose? How often should we be doing that to make sure it's relevant? So the first place I'd started answering that question is to think about, we've got to connect a lot of dots here. And for associations, it's connecting the, I guess, the stakeholder motivations or drivers. So for members or for those associations that are thinking about their members' employees, for instance, those members, those individuals will have probably three or four things top of mind. Choice and agency, their aspiration, what are their goals, whatever learning they're doing, what's the currency of that? Is it actually going to be relevant now and into the future? 
how does that plug into their learning journey, how their member experience in a way that they can see value over time? From an employee perspective, if you think about agency or your employees or your members, then the association has to have a structure through which they can choose and have that authentic agency. From an aspiration perspective for members, associations have to provide access for currency of the, the learning. The association can think about recognition. If we're talking about the narrative of the individual in terms of their growth, the flip side of that for the association could be learning cultural growth mindset and how that is a differentiator and a strong value proposition for members. Yeah. And if we think about the value proposition for the individual, so we should be thinking about growth for the association and for the industry that they're a part of. Yeah. And that's the key, thinking about what is that growth. So it's not a matter of a time frame. It's about continuously assessing and checking in with all of those stakeholders. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense. So how are associations leveraging micro-learning to enhance engagement and retention amongst their members? And are you able to share maybe some practical ways that some of these associations are implementing these micro-learnings? Sure. Probably there's four or five steps that I think you need to consider as an association as to how you would actually fit together kind of a learning strategy and a, a related content strategy. They're the two pieces to start with learning strategy and, and content. And again, it speaks to our growth mindset, but also the way in which we start to authentically engage with members. So from a learning strategy perspective, you want to, you want to start with an audit. What do members want or need? What are the outcomes they're, they're interested in? What are the future skills that are important both for the individual, but also from an association perspective, how do you help them put a plan, a map together? What's the North Star for them that the association can provide? The second piece there is you've got to have a model. We could talk about pedagogical models and design models and learning scaffolds and all of those sorts of things. But essentially, if we understand and we've audited what the members are, are interested in and what the industry is requiring, how do we as an association provide that credible map for them, that model of how they're going to get there? What are going to be the activities, the content that would map into that? How do we think about taking face-to-face and have a hybrid model, all those sorts of things? The next step then is how do we embed that in our day-to-day practice? So aligning association strategy and growth with the immediate member value that those members are seeking. If you've got those two aligned, then it is going to embed those behaviours and those activities really strong. The last step then to kind of get things moving is how you sustain that. We go back to the growth mindset again. How do you start to build and sustain a continuous learning culture and a meaningful engagement expectation throughout the entire member journey. You touched on something interesting there, culture. Culture has been a word that's been thrown around a lot over the last few years, but I love that you specifically said learning culture because I feel like there's a culture that fits the organisation and then there's a culture the way that employees interact with themselves, but learning culture, it doesn't feel like it should be new, but I love that you've been able to to really identify that. and. You know, and I was going to ask you, what are some of those emerging trends in micro-learning and how can our associations stay ahead of the curve? I feel like that point speaks directly to that. It's like, how do we build more of that learning culture? Yeah. The learning culture piece is really interesting. Bill Clinton's strategist back in the day was a guy called James Carville. And you'll remember that he coined the phrase, it's the economy stupid. So when we think about trends, today, I believe because of the fracturing that's kind of happening, at various points in the, across social uh, communities. It's the lived experience in the economy, which is really 
driving a lot of thinking and change. So when we think about those values and those trends in terms of culture, I think there's probably some first principles we have to agree on. First is, and I spoke about before, agency. Second is inclusivity. Third is equitable access. And the fourth is appetite. Do we have an appetite to actually do this? If they're our first principles as an association in terms of how we work with our members, then our culture is going to be stronger because we're sampling the right stakeholders. We're ensuring that we're aligned to core values around access for all, inclusive design so that every member has equitable access. I think the next thing then is around collaborative experience. And that's for both members and for staff. Two things there I think about. Co-design of the experience. Mm. So responsive to that lived experience I talked about, acknowledging pathways, modes that members will take or require to be fully included. The tools and the apps you have in place, are they available in different ways for different users? And then the second piece to, to that, I think, is around co-creation. That's around content, it's around evidence. How do we gather evidence of learning and that's taken place? How do we recognize prior learning? And then the co-creation of value and recognition. And I think there's two other pieces that I've seen most recently, and it falls into two. One's around the platform partnership piece and one's around measurement. So I'll just take a moment, just maybe draw those out a bit. We think about platform, there's a partnership component to this. And Elena knows this better than anybody, the way in which platform intimately informs and guides your partnerships. So platforms around member experience or learning experience really got some non-negotiables in there. You've got to have smart automation, but that automation has to be in the service of true personalization. So automate, yes. bring down your costs, make it more efficient, but the, the outcome of that must be personalization and personalization at scale. Folks like RACGP are driving that value proposition very hard. The second yeah. thing is around smart workflows, agile approaches to development of content or learning experiences so that you can pivot fast, make the most of the moments that you have, the opportunities that, are, that arise. Data and dashboards, that will inform your continuous improvement and then integration around your core systems. Every system has to play nicely in the sandpit. We talked about that when we were in Darwin. Yeah. If I could just go to the last piece, and this is my final point. I think it's about how do you effectively manage the return on your learning investment. We talk about ROI. I'd tweak that slight, this perspective and think about return on learning investment. How do you do that? And, that's, and you can do that through, uh, you know, we can assist with that in terms of helping connect listeners with clients who are going through this journey. There's nothing like talking to someone who's gone through or is going through a similar experience to you and learning from their experiences, white papers, those sorts of things. Mm, wow, I love that. So many practical takeaway pieces there. I love the co-creation. I feel like that is such an important role to play from here on in in the way that we do business. And when you were talking about personalization, hyper-personalization is now the word that we're terming to really dig deep and use that non-generative AI to make sure that if we know Tony wants to sit down at 6 p.m. on a Tuesday night and do this piece of online learning, we're going to send him prompts. Hey, Tony, you haven't logged on yet. I'm loving that because that level of uh, micro-personalization is giving me so much energy to get back and engage in some of these pieces that otherwise would have just gone by the wayside. So I feel like there are so many cool things coming into play right now yeah, to, yeah. to help inspire and move us forward. I remember a large organization I was working with years ago was trying to move the needle on engagement and they invested $25 million over five years 
to move that needle. Wow. Generative AI wasn't around. And after that investment over five years, nothing changed. Oh. And they were trying to build nudges in this approach, a more hands-on approach to person-centered feedback and all these sorts of things. I think the affordances of generative AI properly used will be utterly transformative in terms of how we actually think about nudges, get those responses happening in a really personalized way. Yeah. It's an exciting time. Yeah. Yeah, no, it really is. Look, thank you so much. I know, you know, the D12 platform is such a beautiful place to play and learn on, but I just love how you're so generous with your knowledge because we're always better together because it's just really good to be able to go, what more can I do? Who can I reach out to? So thank you for sharing all these really good tips with our listeners today. And to our listeners, I'm going to share Tiny's details. So make sure you check them out in the bio, connect with him. And thank you all so much for joining us today. A pleasure, Angela. And I'm going to go grab a cup of tea because it's very cold here in Warburton. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe. And if you'd like to join the conversation, reach out to us at associationhubpodcast.com. You can also find out more at answers.net.au and memberboat.com.au. Until next time, stay curious.